This is Sports Point. Sports Point, the latest in sport from Highland Prestshire and beyond. Don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to this edition of Sports Point. Uh, my name is Alistair Smith. Delighted to be the host of this week's edition. Uh, with me uh, today uh, is sports journalist and regular host of uh, Sports Point, but taking the guest position today is Nathaniel Goddard. Uh, Nathaniel, welcome to today's edition. Ike, thank you for taking over and hosting today. I'll have a go anyway, you know. And Hartland FM's breakfast presenter, never short of a word to say about many subjects, is Graham Howie. Graham, welcome uh, to Sports Point as well. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Right. Okay. Uh, sport, uh, lots going on. Let's start with local. And, um, you know, th- this actually takes me back. Um, probably a couple of years ago, um, we were covering a Highland Games at uh, the Kenmore Field, and that's uh, where uh, Aberfeldy uh, Rugby Club are, 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 are now playing. And uh, when I was looking up uh, the, the pictures on their social media site, it just took me back to that day of sitting at the pavilion and uh, watching other sports. But uh, I suppose really good now to see uh, that uh, a first game has taken place uh, locally, uh, described on their match report as the first game in a very long time and the first game at their new home. Uh, Nathaniel, good to see local sport coming back into the area and being played. Yeah, I mean, they've been hit the same way as professional sports have with, you know, what we mark, what we now, it's been sort of 18 odd months or something since, you know, everything went into restrictions and lockdown and they started to get bits back and, you know, certain sports like rugby have really had to sort of bide their time because you know there is that contact there is the the very closeness of you know sweat and things getting onto each other so it's really good that they've been able to now be in a position with the restrictions where they can play do do, do you think that Graham that there has been um you know of course the frustration with non-contact not being able to uh, to meet not being able to practice I mean what must have been like for them to step out on the on on the on the first game of uh, um of their season and the first game at the at the new venue as well well there'll be two main issues for them the first one is match fitness and no matter how fit mm-hmm. you are how much training you do in the gym how much running you do even how much practice you have on the field um match fitness is a different ball game altogether excuse the pun mm-hmm. uh, so the, there's that and then i think the majority of players will have been finding you know, halfway through the second half, they're still on. They're getting very, very tired because their their muscles are just not used to it. And you only get that fitness from match fitness. And the other big factor, of course, and it's common in all sports, but particularly a highly bald skill game, if that makes sense, as rugby, is that you just lose your sense of of touch and your sense of timing and being able to gauge distances. And again, that's that's a lack of, of, of match games expertise. So, you know, those are two big challenges and the only way to get through that rustiness is, is to play. Uh, I think that not only did they have the issue of... Uh... Uh, match fitness for the players, but uh, uh, a special mention to the referee, uh, Gary Todd, who had to stand at the last minute to ensure the game could go ahead because the original referee called off injured. How many times do you have a referee calling off injured? Well, you have to be fitter than you think to referee. I mean, there's quite a high benchmark, I mean, in football and in rugby because there's a lot of running running around to do. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you've got, to, you've got to keep up with the, the pace of the game and you've got to be near the ball to be able to make uh, uh, good decisions. So if it's a, if it's a good game, 
game and it's a high standard and the ball is, you know, depending on the weather, uh, the ball is moving around a lot. So that means a lot running around. You, you've got to be on your game. I think the yeah. same as well. Nathaniel, sorry? St- standing referees happen a lot more than you actually realise. I've been at really, games yeah. where, yeah, suddenly um, a message goes out going, does anybody have refereeing training? Because, you know, um, we need somebody defectively to come and be the fourth official. And there was a Premier League one where the ref went down and someone came in from the stands. Basically, the ref, he tore something, pulled something, his leg sat there on a right. chair, just helping the person. All the person had to do was stand up, hold the fourth official board up. And then that was sort of the extent of his job. Uh, the, the, the game itself, though, um, uh, the kind of uh, half-time, um, Aberfeldy didn't even have a uh, a point on the board and um Ross uh, 10 points uh, ahead. Uh, I know that they play in different leagues. Kinross uh, fully play two divisions uh, above Aber- Aberfeldy. I mean, do, do you think the actual score itself would affect them or do you think that they were just having... Uh, the delight at being back uh, playing rugby, Graham. Well, it's, it's, it, rugby is a funny game. Any any game's a funny game, as as you know, in my view, with the ball because a bounce the ball is a funny thing, and you can be ten or fifteen or twenty points ahead, and you think that's going to be, you know, enough, and it's a big score, and you're showing your class. But then look at the overall result, and considering the how high Kinross are supposed to be above mm. Aberfeldy in terms of leagues and standard of play, I thought the overall result for Aberfeldy was particularly good, particularly as as you say, going into halftime, they would have been somewhat disillusioned and feeling, you know, we, we, we could be on the receiving end of a high score here. And in the end, they weren't. And they and they had made a very good account of themselves. Uh, OK, they were at home and there were 100 people watching, which is pretty good for the, the first game, given all the COVID nonsense that we've had to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they'll be very pleased with that. I think they'll take a lot of confidence from it. And if they can get that sort of score against a team, as I say, that's meant to be much higher than they are, then I think all bode well for them. And Nathaniel, what, what do you think the, the, the kind of coach will uh, have been saying to them? You, you know, okay, the it, it was um, 22-5 and uh, they were playing a, a team in, in, in a higher league. Do, 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 do you think the coach would have been, been happy with the, with the performance, uh, bringing that score? Yeah, I think so. I mean, aberfeldy has got quite a young team coming through anyway. Uh, you know, it's the first game you've played in quite a while. It's, you know, it's good to get on a new pitch, get some crowd back, get some rugby back in you. And it's only kind of a sort of friendly. So, you know, mm. it bodes well that actually, you know, this is a team two divisions higher than you. You know, that would be like the likes of going to the Premier League, like Man City playing somebody in sort of League One sort of thing. You would expect the team two divisions higher to win. I think, you know, they'll be very happy they got the, they got the, um, they got the try. They sort of, you know, they didn't let the game get away from themselves. You know, as Graham said, you know, it was 10, 10 nothing at the break. You know, that that's a game, you know, heads can drop. That can very easily get away from you. And, you know, to find that fight to come back, you know, get the try, you know, keep it. You know, it's not it's not a bad score, um, sort of points-wise, you know, to actually go, you know, what well, actually you can stand there and go, yeah, we've actually given a good show and we've given them a game and you know that's all, all bodes well for the next coming sort of months and next coming games and I think the thing is uh, as well not only they had to cope with the, the new ground first game for ages uh, the day it was played was one of those really hot days that we that we had at the at the beginning of, of, of the month and uh, um, heat and exhaustion could, could could come into play as well Graham yes absolutely and you've got to be careful there and you know we're just not used to playing sport outdoors in such a hot conditions and rugby is such a, you know, close contact game and you're on your feet all the time. And, you know, even if you don't have the ball and the opposition have the ball, you know, you're running around and you're, you're, you're backwards and forwards trying to get yourself in, in the right position. So it's a very, very tiring game. It's a very physical game, even without, you know, mentioning the actual contact 
aspect of it. Uh, so I think particularly, again, as Nathaniel has touched on, uh, you know, to be 10-0 down at halftime, very hot conditions, playing a team that was vastly superior to them on paper, mm-hmm. uh, to come back with the result that they got uh, in those conditions particularly, I think it was very good. And imagine, you know, from my own rugby days, albeit some time ago, you know, you get to 30 minutes in the second half, You've clawed back some of it, but you know, that is when your legs just start to go. Mm-hmm. That is when your stamina goes. And if you're playing in such hot conditions as they were on that day, uh, again, I, th- I think that's a tribute to them because the Kinross players will just be, you know, by the nature of their division status, will have been much fitter. I mean, I know that, uh, that the coach Neil Young said there was a lot of positives said to be taken from the match and to build on the up-and-coming league campaign as well. So uh, first one out there, I think they've done really well. And, and actually, uh, for me, the uh, Aberfeldy man of the match was teenager uh, Ruri Johnston, who's making uh, a senior debut as a hooker. I mean, that, that must have been quite an accolade uh, for him, Nathaniel. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you when you've got teams that, they have really good youth systems and really good uh, working through systems. You know, coming through the ranks and getting your senior debut and actually being able to play that, you know, even if it's a friendly, it's always a good moment for you. And, you know, it's a lot better, you know, when there's 100 people there and you've probably got some friends and some family along there to, you know, sort of go, you know, big whoops, big cheers as you, you come on, as you touch the ball. Every time you touch the ball, you know, suddenly there's a, there's a your, your mum or somebody's in the crowd going, yes, come on. And, you, you know, that that's, that, that's always going to give you a little bit of a boost, you know, even if you are down 10 nothing at halftime or you, you're struggling in the game, you know, just that the support there is going to help you. Yeah, the, the part of the test will be when they play away from home. And I wonder, you know, if it if they would have got such a good result and if they would have been able to keep within touch and distance right to the end of the game, if they weren't playing at home, I'm encouraged because it was such a hot day. You could argue that's a great leveller, but on the other hand, maybe not, because as I said earlier, a Kinross standards of fitness, you would expect to be much higher than Aberfeldy. Uh, crucially, I think if they're going to build something and they're going to get some momentum now, then let's see, let's see what happens when they play away from home. Yeah, I think so. But uh, the, the fact that you said there that there was uh, a, a crowd there that, uh, you know, when you've seen some, some of the big sporting matches that have taken place and uh, that the, the had been, you know, at uh, peak COVID times uh, before restrictions were lifted, nobody was allowed to, uh, to, to, to go there. It must be great, I think, both for the spectators and for the team as well to... To have people allowed to go out there, and and Nathaniel was a, a a sports enthusiast, you must see that as a positive. Oh, look, look at the Euros. I mean, just like Denmark played like three games, two or three games at Copenhagen, and the support behind them in the home stadium was phenomenal. Like, just you know, they had the they had the really bad uh, incident with the Christian Eriksen thing in the first match, and then you know mm-hmm. you've got a crowd there of your home supporters that got you through two games, got you through into the into the knockouts, and you saw that with the FA Cup game when Leicester had spectators in and how how much the spectators can bring people on. And, you know, a lot of people have been saying, you know, they've really missed them. Yeah. It's not been the same. And teams are pushing now. Um, Celtic, Rangers, Aberdeen, they've been pushing to try and get fuller capacities than, you know, they've been said because actually they want a full crowd in there because, you know, when you've got 20,000 people stood there cheering behind your team, that's going to give all your players a massive boost to go forward. And even 100 players is going to have been a, an incredible atmosphere given that, We've all had no spectators mm. and we've all been put up with fake crowd noises on TV for so long. <laughs> yeah, but it's a, it's a funny one, even at a smaller level, because, it, you know, the hundred spectators will have been for Aberfeldy. So they'll be shouting out, good catch, Tony, good tackle, get him, mark him up, whatever, great kick, whatever, well done, boys. So that's all being fed. And you're very close to the pitch. So a hundred people is not a lot. But that will carry a lot of weight. Mm. And the other thing is when you're playing in that sort of environment, I mean, different from 
what what Nathaniel was explaining earlier, but along the same sort of vein, you know, if you've got 100 fans cheering you on, you don't want to make a mistake. You don't want to be the one that drops the ball because there's no hiding place. So I think that, you know, that kind of helps you as well. It's not just, you know, as Nathaniel was saying, the fans and the noise. You know, yeah. 100, 100 fans in a very small pitch right to the touchline is actually quite a lot. And you want to be, you know, I do not want to be running with the ball and passing it and not be the one who couldn't catch it in front of, of my home fans. Um, you know, it's just something you don't want to do. So that probably would have helped them quite a lot, I think. I, I, I think you're right. It, it, when it's uh, friends and family crowd, I think that's the worst ones that you can uh, you can make a, 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 a mistake in front of because uh, uh, you're not going to live that down, are you, Nathaniel? No, and especially when you take some of the some of the lads in the in that rugby team, some of their mm. their partners are playing the women's team, and that's so, you know there's gonna be people there who play rugby and then go sit there going, you should have caught that, you really should have caught that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I think so. Well, can, can we wish all the best to Aberfeldy uh, Rugby Football Club yes. for the rest of the season, and uh, well done to the young man uh, who was a man of the match, a teenager, uh, Ruby Johnson. Indeed, I'm sure he will have a a, a great season in front of uh, of him. Uh, going forward. So we'll follow the fortunes uh, of Aberfeld Deep Rugby Football Club as we go through future editions of Sports Point. Uh, now, it's been a long time since uh, we've sat down and watched our National Football League game, uh, but that, of course, will soon be over, sooner than we uh, think. Uh, so it's time to kind of kick off, look at the teams and see what's on the field uh, before the regular season gets underway. Um, Nathaniel, a, a bit of an NFL fan, to, to, to say the least. Yeah, and it's been a, it's been a while since the Super Bowl. You know, certain people will have been very happy that there was no football on on a Sunday, but a lot of us have been missing it, and it's going to be really good to get back. Particularly as we are going to have crowds now, which is really going to you know change the atmosphere of the games. That as we've mentioned, mm. quite a lot about crowds. And 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 who are we looking for this year within the NFL? Who um, are the the teams that you think are the ones to watch? Any surprises coming up uh, during close season? It's going to be kind of interesting one as we move through preseason. Obviously, we start off with that sort of the typical curtain raiser of the Hall of Fame game, where yeah. we're not going to see we're not going to see a lot of starters during preseason. The the Hall of Fame game, you know, it's going to be the the big talking points are going to be battles between QB twos, um, how the rookies going to do, and that's the same as you move through preseason. Coming into the regular season, it becomes a bit more of an interesting one. You've got teams who who looked really good last season, um, the likes of the Buccaneers and the Chiefs. But you can sort of go through each of the divisions and sort of look at teams who you think might be might be standing out, might be doing things. And a lot of teams are in sort of a bit more of a transition period than others. Um, and you sort of you can look through the um, the AFC and you sort of look at teams of, you know, you've got the the Jets who who finished the. Um, sort of second worst team in the division, but they've then picked up a few franchise QB. They've built quite well in the offseason. So, what impact are their, are their signings going to have? And it's going to be an interesting one to watch for a lot of teams. But I do think that the, the likes of, you know, the Chiefs, the Buccaneers, the Browns are likely to be the ones up there along with the Bills. But there could be surprise packages um, coming through that all the time. Graham, is it a sport, a sport that, uh, that you follow, that, that you watch? Not really. No, I watch the odd game on it. I I always find it a very strange game. You know, people have called it a soft man's rugby, which is a little bit unfair because it's a very brutal, very physical game. And they have, you know, the top players have generally, unless they're playmakers, they have a very short lifespan in the game, which is why they earn so much money. And it's a very closed field. I mean, you don't have 
the the hundreds, the thousands of players that you have in football leagues throughout the world mm-hmm. who are playing at quite a top level. It really is quite an elite small group of players who are managing to get um, to that level. Um, so I, I find it a little bit odd. I, I do watch it when it's on now and again, but I'm not a, a devote fan. I agree with Nathaniel on the Jets. I think the Jets this season uh, could be a surprise package. And that's, you know, it's, it's quite an attractive game in the way that it's organised behind the scenes, Alistair, mm. in the way that uh, it's very much a level playing field, much more so than you have uh, in football throughout the world. And it doesn't really matter how much money you have in American football. Uh, they have this peculiar system of, of, of choosing players and pooling players, and they really have the choice of going to whatever team they want. And the deal is pretty much, I mean, not all, all the case, but pretty much going to be the same. So that's a great, leveler mm-hmm. is also financially more stable because no team can get relegated so that makes it easier for them to plan ahead and, and to and to invest in in the future so it's a strange one i never quite bought into it completely unfortunately i i have tried i certainly don't have the enthusiasm and the knowledge that nathaniel um has for it great mentioned there nathaniel the soft man's rugby i mean how, how do you react to that there's a reason they wear helmets and there's a reason there are <laughs> okay. such strenuous concussion protocols. Uh, so d- definitely not a soft man's rugby game then. Uh, so so listen, what, what are we looking out for in the early games? Is, is it something whereby uh, the, the leagues, you know, is it just all out for every win or is there kind of games in which you say, right, we're going to, like you mentioned, the, 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 the Hall of Fame games. Uh, I mean, are, are they playing for, you know, the full-on match every time even even during the the early season Nathaniel no but the Hall of Fame game and pre-season tend to be a lot less Hall of Fame game is kind yeah. of an exhibition game that yeah. go, tends to go alongside the Hall of Fame induction ceremony which obviously has been delayed because of Covid mm-hmm. so you know the, the Cowboys are going to play the um, Steelers in that and you know for that one it's kind of if effectively it's another pre-season game um, Steelers point of view it's you know who is going to back up who is going to be their QB2? It's going to be Mason Rudolph. Is it going to be Dwayne Haskins? And you're probably going to see both of those feature in that game. But it mm-hmm. is also going to give both teams a chance to, you know, undrafted rookies and their later round picks, give them a chance. And you, that's what you see when you come into preseason. It's a shorter preseason. It's longer than last season because there was no preseason. But right. normally you'd have about four seasons. Mm-hmm. And as you move through, you, maybe your first week, you probably, your starters would play about the first quarter. And then you sort of back up um, rookie undrafted players will play the next three. And as you move into week two, you'd probably get about half, they'd probably get half a match and then three quarters by week three and then probably put it back again in week four before the season. So it's going to be an interesting one to see how teams manage their players. But there are, like, week one's got some really interesting matchups in terms of, of just matches already in the preseason. So you've got the likes of the Saints at the Ravens. Uh, you've got New York Derby with the Jets at the Giants. Rematch a Super Bowl 54 with the Chiefs and the 49ers, as well as an LA rivalry between the Rams and the Chargers at SoFi Stadium. And are there any plans that this this year around, which they have done in, in the past, to try and encourage the popularity of the game in, in this country to play at some of the big games at uh, Wembley, Nathaniel? We will have two games at Tottenham this year. Um, I think Tottenham seems to be the one they're moving to. When, when they built the new White Hart Lane, they did quite a lot of this retractable pitch that pulled back for... The American football pulls over. Yes. I think the American football pitch falls, pulls over and the football pitch is underneath or the other way around. So they've got two games in October um, in London, um, as well as a couple of other games, I believe, elsewhere. But they are looking to build 
the international series more globally. Normally we've had four games in London, but they go into a certain amount of games. Everybody's going to play one. They're going to start adding games into the likes of Germany, um, as well as like Mexico and some of the other countries to sort of quite build it a little bit more globally as well as keeping that, that UK routing. So we're still likely to get at least one, if not two games. But is that not a bit of a non-starter? We don't play the game in our schools. There's no infrastructure in this country, or in fact, the other countries that you mentioned either for American football. It seems a bit of a lost cause to me. No, there's quite a lot. At, um, there's quite a lot of development for teams across the UK, from uh, youth flag teams all the way up to adult flag teams, contact, and throughout a lot of the universities, there's a lot of teams spread out across the country, university and adult, um, men's, women's, and um, junior teams for both contact and flag. Okay, I stand corrected then. Okay, so I mean, let's talk about the popularity of the of of the sport. Why has this just flourished in America? Americans, I mean, I don't. I mean, you know, soccer over over America is not as big as obviously yeah, football okay. is here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's part of the one of the bit. Obviously, they've got. I think it, it came about of you know it's it's their sport you know we, we yes it's developing in the UK and across Europe there's quite a couple of players going out of Germany and the the international sort of development program that these players go into the NFL but you know it's their game mm. um, lots other people play basketball other people play but play baseball yes they've got the big leagues for them but nowhere else in the world has a professional professional American football league mm-hmm. and, and, and do you think it's something that will transfer across uh, to uh, the UK and uh, and perhaps other um, European uh, countries as well because as you say there uh, there may be some uh, some development in that sport but I, I, I just always see it as something that I'm not sure we'd come to the UK in a big way I mean what's your thoughts Nathaniel? There's, I mean, so it's grown quite a lot. You you go into to adult. There's two now in for contact. There are now two leagues based solely in Scotland, mm-hmm. which holds. Okay. There's about nine teams playing in Scotland with East Kilbride, Edinburgh, Glasgow, Inverclyde, oh. Aberdeen, Highland, um, Highland up near Inverness, Clyde, Dunfermline, and Dunfermline. So you know that's nine, nine teams across Scotland, and then there's you know they've got divisions across the whole of the rest of the uk splitting you've probably got about four teams i don't know about what it's like with the world with with sort of like wales and ireland mm-hmm. but it's growing quite a lot there and there are a lot of teams coming out of that even going into sort of your junior levels and there's there's two women's teams in scotland there's several junior teams several flag teams so it's quite it's a sport that you know the infrastructure is there the big bit is getting your development because um our, our top level sort of teams, you're, you're looking more sort of high school level coaching plays for, yeah. for America as opposed to, you know, the big NFL plays and college level. So the problem, the problem mm. is, that also that they don't play it in school. I just, it's never mm, going to happen. Mm, it's mm. never going to happen. It's a waste of time. They don't play it in school. It's not, so, so, all, you've, all you've got is older people or teenagers running around trying to play American football for a bit of a laugh. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no professional structure there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would have to spend billions of pounds or euros throughout Europe to try and find a, 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 a self-sustaining professional league that would attract sponsorship so that they can mm-hmm. feed young players in. I just don't see it happening at all. I really don't. We've so, had a, we have had a franchise team. We had a franchise team in London for a while. Yeah, it, didn't, it didn't work. No, I, because of the travel, because there weren't the other teams there. But it's something that does keep getting talked about. It does keep getting explored, the possibility of a Europe, European league, a European European franchises that can play in a self-sustaining league and maybe, you know, act as like the XFL does as a bit of a development option that can then bring players in. 
yeah, well, we'll we'll see, we'll see. I mean, I, I I'm not knocking it, and I've got no, mm. nothing against uh, American football at all. If it gets established in this country, it's another sport. I, I'm all for that. You know, there's a lots of advantages, as you, as you know, my view on on sport for young people. Uh, it's yeah. so great, but I personally just don't think it's going to happen. I'm just wondering then, you know, with the uh, Scottish teams that you mentioned, um, in my eyes, it, it just didn't seem to be high profile. Do you think there's uh, there's more work to be done there, Nathaniel? I think for everybody there's more work to be done. And BAFA have been working quite well to try and raise some of the profile. You know, um, mm. some of the teams in London have got quite a big, I've got a bit, bit of a bigger profile there. I, I think the, the bit is, you know, is this, is this a part of the same problem that comes when you hit sort of amateur football, amateur rugby? You know, if it's not getting reported on by the likes of us, you know, we sit here talking about them, yeah. then, you know, people aren't going to find out about it. And I think there needs, you know, if you can get more coverage, more sort of, you know, just talking about it, then it's going to to help it. Okay, so, so on that then, it, it's a sport that I don't think I've ever read the rules or particularly know the rules of... It, it, to me, watching it, and I know it's got phenomenal uh, global audiences, but to me, it's quite a slow sport. Uh, I, I mean, they, they can, I've never quite understood, you know, the rules of what they're trying to achieve with each strategic move. So um, could, could you give us, uh, Nathaniel, a, a, a potted 60-second um, rules of, uh, of the strategy of uh, an American football game? Yeah, um, so unlike sports like rugby football where you know possession changes left right and center mm -hmm. you you move you're trying to move from where, where you receive the ball from the kickoff so one team will kick off other team will receive it either choose to run or take a knee in the end zone which will take them out to the 25 yard line and then you've got to get from there to to score a touchdown in the opposition's end zone and you go in you know you've got four you've got four attempts to get 10 yards and then you get your 10 yards and then you've got another four attempts to keep moving um, and that's basically, so, you know, instead of, you know, sort of standing there at the 25 yard line going, I'm going to try and lob it to the halfway line. And then yeah. I'm going to try and lob it to the, to the end zone. you you can move the ball a little more, a bit more strategically it, it's a, in the sort of sense of, you know, ticky tacky possession based football where you, you move the ball about, mm -hmm. but you still, you sort of still doing that attempt to go forward and to gain, to gain positive yardage, to get yourself into a position to take a shot to the end zone or to have a field goal attempt. And who are going to be the big uh, the big names to watch out for as you, I suppose, uh, look to the next Super Bowl? Or am I just asking a question that's impossible to uh, to answer because a ball hasn't even been played yet? You you can ask that question. It's going to be interesting to see the teams that have been rebuilding and bringing players in. You know, the, the likes of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you're going to expect mm -hmm. to be up there. Kansas City, you're going to expect to be up there. The Cleveland Browns got beat by Kansas in the divisional round. You're going to expect them to be up there. The same with Buffalo. But there are teams that are sort of building and coming through. So the likes of, obviously, Jacksonville had a really bad season last year, but have now brought in a new head coach who has won. He's got a really good winning record at college level, winning in bowl games, three national championships, loads of division titles. They've got one of the best prospects coming out of college for a while in Trevor Lawrence, a nice backfield of James Robinson and Travis Etienne, good receiving core, and starting to rebuild a strong defence like the defence they had in 2017 that got them to the AFC Championship game where they lost to the Patriots in um, questionable circumstances as Miles Jack was not down when he made the interception. Um, so, you know, it's looking at a good position. And considering the rest of their division, 
Um, Houston are not in a good position with their QB situation and everything that's going on there. Uh, the Colts, their QB retired. So they brought in Carson Wentz, who's now going to be out for five to 12 weeks with a foot injury that may resolve in him having a bone taking out of his foot. So okay. nobody knows how well he's going to be when he comes back. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously the Titans are another one that potentially could have a deep run going in. Um, and you look around the rest of the league, obviously I said about the Buffalo Bills, Dolphins and Patriots have been rebuilding. So could they have a, could they do maybe what impact are the new signings for the Jets going to have? You've obviously got the Browns, um, Ravens got to the playoffs. So there's quite a lot of teams that, that could get there. There are teams who, you know, like the Raiders, the Broncos, the Chargers probably aren't going to get anywhere near. Um, but there are teams who have added weapons to their to their young rosters that, you know, given given some home support, mm-hmm. given the right schedule, the right conditions, anything could go their way. And from, from an AFC point of view, that's your likes of the Browns, the Titans and um, the Bills, whereas... So the, the NFC is a lot, a little bit. There's a lot more teams in the AFC that could have a run, whereas the NFC, you are looking at the likes of, you know, it's hard to see past Tampa. Um, Green Bay are in a mess with whatever's happening with Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams' contract. Like, so the Lions, the Vikings, the Bears are rebuilding. Um, the NFC East was one of the worst divisions last season. Somehow Washington scraped a playoff berth by the skin of their teeth with a losing record, and every other team in that league had a losing record. Mm-hmm. The Saints trying to establish themselves post-Drew Brees. So, you know, there are teams who could potentially challenge the likes of the Cardinals, maybe the Seahawks, but I think it's very hard in that one to see past Brady yeah. and the Buccaneers. Uh, so plenty to play for in 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 the, in the season, and uh, those who are uh, fans, uh, then it uh, is going to get uh, the TV coverage, and I'm sure that you will be watching with extreme interest. And and I suppose for me, um, how that uh, maybe transfers across uh, to this side of the pond as well. Uh, right, uh, leaving the NFL and American football uh, now, let's go to the Olympics and. Uh, I don't think we're doing too bad. Six on the uh, the league table for medals, as I uh, uh, checked earlier on, uh, with uh, over 50 uh, medals. Uh, Graham, have you been engaged with it this year? Yes, it's been much better than I thought it'd be, because I, I was one of the people that said, I don't think it should have gone ahead with yeah. COVID. I, I, I still stand by that, but nevertheless, it did. Uh, they don't seem as yet to have had, a, had any sort of COVID issues, which mm-hmm. I'm surprised at, mm-hmm. but that's good. Uh, we've certainly, as a nation in the UK, I mean, it's been a fabulous Olympics. I mean, the the, the number of medals that uh, we have won has been quite uh, phenomenal. Um, you know, I, I know you could argue, well, all athletes have been in the same the same difficulty. They haven't been able to train properly. So, but nevertheless, we've done very well. And also, if you look at just under the, you know, the bronze level of a number of, of uh, competitions where we've come in fourth, fifth and sixth, uh, which we weren't having any uh, uh, results previously in, in in Brazil, for example. I think looking forward to the Paris Olympics, that puts us in a very strong position, and I'm delighted for the country because I think we needed a bit of a boost, um, mm-hmm. and it's we've done very well there. And I think it, it it's given us a very good platform going forward for more interest in sport, for more young people taking up sport. Hopefully, that will translate through all ages. But just to galvanise the country as a sporting nation is, is is very good, very positive, and I think we're in a very good place. Uh, Nathaniel, uh, any highlights uh, from uh, from you? Yeah, I mean, we it's been quite an interesting one. You've you've got a look at, I mean, from from the from the the 
just moment of it when the Australian Kieran Wally crashed into the uh, cameraman during the skateboarding. Yeah, I saw that. Um, that <laughs> I saw was that, just yeah. I, I was, that was you know one of those moments where nobody ever expects that to happen, and that cameraman's probably you know he's got up, he's carried on, he's fine. But you know the next time somebody comes, he's possibly taken a slight step further back than he was on the first <laughs> one, sort of thing. Um, but I have to say, fourteen-year-old Chinese gymnastic Quan Hong Chan, mm. three dives, three perfect tens. I mean, at fourteen, that was absolutely phenomenal. You see, this is something Graham and I were talking about. Um, is is the Olympics the place to stage, uh, to, to have the global stage, to be there at 13, 14 years old? Uh, I, I mean, if you excel at your sport, that's fine. But how can you be mentally prepared? Um, how can you, you know, even be ready to show your talent to the world are, they, are these people being pushed too far or are they just at the right place at the right time Graham? no i think it's very wrong and we had the discussion this morning and it's yeah. not a very popular view uh the big one which is difficult to justify is gymnastics now historically they've always tried to slow down the physical growth of gymnastics mm -hmm. particularly in girls uh, because uh, they want to keep them as young as possible because they've literally got, excuse the pun, more spring in their step. I personally don't think there's a place for any competition for in the Olympics that should be anybody who's aged under 17. They're not mentally ready for it. And there's just no argument against that. They aren't. And we're seeing more and more evidence of that all the time. Uh, look at Tobias, the American gymnast, you know, mm -hmm. top in her game, really struggling with all the pressure. We've seen it in tennis this year. Um, uh, we've seen it across all sports. We've seen it in the after effect of the Euros with professional footballers struggling with the aftermath of it. Got to be very, very careful. I don't think anybody can possibly be ready for that sort of social media onslaught until they're 17. And physically, I mean, 17 is still very young. You're just not physically mature, uh, uh, you know, at least 17, if not more. And I think these competitions that have such young competitors, I think it's a, I think it's a heinous mistake. I know it's a strong word, but I think mm -hmm. it's a, I think it's a heinous mistake. And that's got nothing to do with talent. It's got nothing to do with how good these competitors are. They have shown how talented they are. Um, that's really not the point, I don't think. Um, I, I would go back to mental health and physical ability, physical growth. And you're not ready until you're 17. And to have competitions for the Olympics, that all that exposure. You could argue exploitation for the benefit of, I mean, the cynical one is, is the skateboarding, where the Olympics are put in a sport to generate the, the youth market. Now, that's fine. I understand why they're doing that. We want the youth mm -hmm. market coming through. They're still going to come through. They are still going to come through if the youngest competitor is 17. Yeah, but, the, but you, no, you got you, no. you got people you got people there who are you know as I mentioned this morning, Sky Brown, who's uh, you know thirteen years old. She seems to be pretty grounded. She's she's happy. She's oh, Alistair, she's, Alistair, she's, we're talking about a thirteen-year-old. Yeah, are you honestly telling me that a thirteen-year-old is an adult? Is that what you're saying? I'm not saying that. I'm saying a. Well, she's why are you saying that? I'm saying a. She's talented, and b. She's she appears to be coping with. with so with so it. let her go to junior Olympics. Why, but, that's what it's for. But what? Why limit people? That's like saying, you know, you're a seven, you're a sixteen year old footballer who is the world, who is one of the best footballers in our academy system. Let's, you know, you, we're going to leave you there, and your skills might fade. But but do you think you're physically strong enough at thirteen to compete in that sort of market? I mean, when your body is still growing, do you really think that is sensible? <laughs> She's done it. She won bronze. The 14-year-old won, won a gold. And, 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 how, and how will that affect her body when she's 22, 23? And the reason I ask that, think carefully before you answer, this has been shown to have happened with gymnasts who are put forward 
too early, their body's abused, they've been taped up, and then when they reach 24, 25, and they're no longer able to compete, it's a serious problem for them physically, particularly for women who are unable to conceive, they've got all sorts of problems with their menstruation cycle because they've been competing too early. It's no different if you want to go to the gym in the UK or in Europe, and you want to start pushing weights, you can't do it when you're 13. You're not allowed to do it because your body is still developing. It yeah. is just irresponsible. And there are certain sports that have age limits. Boxing has an 18 age limit. There are other sports that have age limits on them. But, you know, gymnast gymnastics, we have seen there's issues. There's huge issues with gymnastics mm. and that those have all come out over the last couple of years, all of the problems that have been there in gymnastics. But you can't say that 14-year-old who... You know, she's outperformed people twice her age to score perfect tens across the board. You can't say that she doesn't deserve to be there. Tom Daly went when he's I didn't say that. But Tom, you didn't win anything. I didn't say that. And look at all the, the, the issues that Tom Daly has had. Okay? It's a, a great case in point. Should never have gone to the Olympics at such a young age. He wasn't ready for it mentally. He was not ready for the social media uh, 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 back uh, uh, slash that he got against him as he said himself he should never have been put in that position you are not mentally prepared for it at that age I, I border on to say it. it's cruel that's what the junior olympics are for but your Do argument you is based on social media and we know social media has problems you know by that logic we shouldn't be sending colored players to go and play no what i said was because it's you know the social media no, there. No, i said very clearly it's two issues one is the physical aspect that they are not physically mature enough. I don't think there's any argument about that. You're not an adult when you're 13, are you? Would you say you're an adult physically when you're 13? No, but for well, certain sports, you're, you're, you're able to compete. To, to the exploitation of, 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 of gymnastics, which you've also you've already alluded to and accepted. And mentally, you're just not ready for that sort of exposure. Forget social media, just being in the news and the pressure of competing and the, pr the pressure of competing against older people where you're expected to win is just too much. And how many, you know, you already have Bayless, the top gymnast, you know, experienced who's what, 22, saying this is too much. You've had top, ten top tennis players, young tennis players saying it. I mean, it just goes back to tennis with Tracy Austin when she was competing when she was 14 in Wimbledon and they, and, and they stopped it and very sensibly so. I mean, on your argument, you could go to Wimbledon because you've got good enough talent at 14 years old and you could win Wimbledon. I mean, how is that in the interest of the player? in the interest of your, in, of your sport you know there are certain sports where it well, which is more important to you the sport or the player because for me it's the sport they, they, sorry, qualified, they, the they got there you know we can say that with a football you know and other sports but you, but you wouldn't have a 14 year old footballer no matter do you think they would have put Rooney or Ronaldinho or no, they, put him in at, they put him in at 16 though yes but not at 13 or 14 no but it's a different it's a you different have to be an exceptional player to be at 16 and they're very very careful with them they're not allowed to play too many games and they're not allowed to you know to do much they're not allowed to do any sponsorship they're not allowed to do any advertising until they're 18 they do not play at a professional league until they're 16 and it's only a very limited basis and you know that so you know you you're just shooting yourself in the foot because you're coming out with great with great examples of players who are not allowed to compete at the ages which you see now in skateboarding and gymnastics 13 14 15 it is really really dangerous but at 13 you you know go out she the sky brown goes out every morning and surf goes out goes out and, and does her skateboarding you know she never went in nobody she never went in anybody expecting her to win you know her achievement her achievement was getting there you know and they've a lot of people have said that their achievement has been getting there 
nobody ever expects people to do well. Yeah, the pressure comes after they do well. Mm. And then that that's a that's a symptomatic thing of the British public and how we treat our super, our stars. You know, okay. nobody expected Emma Rajakana at Wimbledon to go as well, far as she did. And then they, suddenly she did, and all the pressure piled right. onto her. And do you mm. think that incident with that young tennis player in Wimbledon, do you do you really think that was in the interest of the game? And do you really think it was in her interest that she was clearly put in a game that she wasn't mentally ready to do. She was physically ready, she had the ability, but she wasn't mentally prepared for the game, and then she was complaining of breathing difficulties and she had to withdraw. Now, how is that good for her, and how is that good for the sport? She got there. Okay, yes, she she was in a situation that she shouldn't have been in, but the situation she was in was the pressure that was being put on her. It was the big centre court stage. Mm. That she can't cope with when you're that age, when you're young and experienced. But it's managing those expectations. You and can't it's managing them because things. you've got a host of examples of players in different sports. We're talking about gymnastics, we're talking about football, we're talking about tennis. You just mentioned one now again, where clearly they can't manage that. And that's yeah, and Andy Murray thing. is Andy Murray, who's an experienced tennis player, at times has failed to manage the expectations of the British public. But he's not 13. Too, no, but he's an experienced player. It's nothing to do with their age, it's to do with the amount of pressure that we put onto people. But that's, that's the way the of the world. That's not going yeah. to change. So it's, it's not going to change. Right. So, should, so, we, so don't put them in position in the first place. And, but then and, and, we're going to kill the competition of the sport. How are we going to kill the competition of the sport? There's nothing wrong with tennis. Nothing wrong with football. Nothing wrong with because with in gym, three in three years' times in three years' time that that fourteen year old may have actually they may they may have suffered a an, an accident while they were playing gym at school sort of thing and they put themselves out. You know, you, you go when you when you're ready to go, and I don't think that we should be holding people back and we should be limiting people. You know, everybody says aim for the sky, the stars are your limit. You know, if you can qualify for an Olympics at 14 and you can beat out people through qualifying, then the Olympic Committee have done a huge amount of work to put age limits in place for sports where they need to be in place. You know, you can't box if you're under 18 because of the physical elements, the punching in the head. That's a serious one. Other sports have done that with with protection gear to to do that. But by that logic, you should be there's there's a lot of things that shouldn't be happening, you know. All rugby players should be wearing helmets by by that by that argument. You know, it's the physical, it's the, the pressure because our heads aren't designed to deal with with blows of contact. We shouldn't be diving into swimming pools. You can find arguments to limit and remove every single half of the stuff from sport, but you know, if you are if you are able to go at at fourteen and go out there and perform what is undoubtedly three of the greatest dives across not this just Olympics, but probably the last couple of Olympics, why shouldn't you be there? You know, they, they, they will do very, they will, you know, Olympic committees, Olympic organisations um, in terms of athletic things for each of the countries have done a lot to look at the impact that this is going to have on players. They will do a lot to make sure that their players are supported and that their players are, are cared for in the best possible situation. And there's no reason then that, you know, you can't have 13, 14 yours competing in the Olympics. It's a debate that will go on. And uh, I think what we need to uh, recognise in, in some way is the talent that's there, but also recognise that the mental preparation uh, perhaps is something that sports should uh, acknowledge as well. Uh, yes, but, you, but you're, you're trying to sit on the fence, Alistair, and you're not making a comment. Are you, are you in favour of it or not? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not sitting on the fence. What I'm saying is if the person is talented and they are there and they are ready for it, uh, they should go. I, I mean, th- a 13-year-old on, on a skateboard, uh, I, I mean, it, 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 is there much for a skateboarder when they're 20 plus? 
well, they don't have to be 20. We're talking about 16 or 17. I think there's still plenty for them when they're 16 or 17. Okay. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm... Would, you, would, you, would you agree, Nathaniel? Olympics is every four years, though. You're shortening the career, you're shortening careers of, of people by this point now. So you're going, you can't go to the Olympics till you're 16. So then you get one at 20, one at 24, one at 28, and then you probably retire. You know, you go at you go at 13, you might get another Olympics in there. You're limiting the Olympics career of people if you're if you're telling them that they have to be a certain age to compete. Well, I respect your opinion, obviously, but I just think, in all honesty, heartfelt, you're being mm -hmm. reckless. Reckless. Well, we'll see what the Olympic committees do say after the um, after people's opinions, after seeing these young teenagers there and performing. Maybe we should just all take up knitting like Tom Daly and actually knit our own jumpers. And, you know, that will help our mental stress uh, because I saw him on Twitter uh, today saying my Olympic jumper is finished. Yeah. Is, is, is that going to be a pastime you're going to take up, Graham? Well, but you see, he couldn't have done that at 13. He wouldn't have had the skill, would he? What, for, 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 <laughs> for knitting? For knitting. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a great way of relaxing. I can, I can knit. It's a, it's a great way of relaxing. Right, yes, okay. it's, it's a great way of, of relaxing. I mean, I couldn't do what Tom Daly did. But it's, it's, a great, it's a great way of, of uh, yeah. relaxing. The irony here, in all seriousness, is that you've got, you've got sportsmen and women of a very young age yeah. who are superbly talented. And I've watched a lot of the skateboarding. And you sit there and you just go, Wow. I mean, wow, the speed they go, the skill factor they've got. And the same with, you know, some of the other sports that come through that we've been talking about, you know, uh, which Nathaniel has been defending. And I understand why he's defending him. Just from a skill point of view, you can't ignore that level of skill. And this is part of the of the problem. And the danger that they're in and what they go through. I mean, the height, the height and the speed that they go in all of these uh, uh, um, types of competitions. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's 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 amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, well, let's move on from Olympics uh, because we've uh, we've struck a nerve there, but uh, a, a good debate, uh, and I think that uh, that will come. We will come back uh, to to that uh, in many seasons to come, and in many different sports as well. Uh, right, let's move on. Our final topic tonight on Sports Point uh, is the Lions' first and second Test matches. Uh, Graham, what did you think? Uh, very strange, very strange, because the Lions won quite convincingly in the first game yeah, they got yeah. they ended up getting absolutely stuffed in the second game yeah. and it almost reminded me of the of the euros where england are ahead at half time everything's going well and then as expected the italians changed their format and they changed the style of playing the game and england had no answer to it and just and, and it seemed to be exactly the same with the, with the lions they brought on the big boys in the second half and the lions were just all over the place and a number of key players uh, particularly, unfortunately, Scottish players who just didn't seem to be in the game at all. And I think, thought they were quite lucky to not to get absolutely plastered, to be honest. And I, mm. I fear for them in the in the in the final game, which is coming up on Saturday, of course. And I just do not understand what Gatlin was thinking or what he thought the tactics were going to be in the second half, where it was clear that South Africa had changed theirs and were basically all over us. I mean, they were mauling us off the park, all the high balls. We had no answer for it at all. And I think they were fortunate not to get absolutely hammered. Mm, and I have to disagree with the first one. I mean, yeah, we they trailed at the break and they fought back, but it wasn't convincing in any way, shape or form. I mean, five five penalties and a converted try for the Lions to four penalties and a try with a missed conversion for the Springboks in the first one. I mean, that was it's not the, wasn't the, neither of the games have been particularly convincing either way. They've been bitty i mean the second one was absolutely horrific it was 60 about 60 minute halves there's so many stoppages so many reviews just 
players getting cramped and it was just such an ugly spectacle it's not what rugby should have been about it just didn't flow in any way in any semblance of the game it it just wasn't what we've come to expect from rugby particularly at top level games no did but did you think the second half and the overall result in the second game was was a was a surprise the way that south africa suddenly seemed to turn it on or do you not think they did i think they just came out there with that they they used their physicality i think and the kicking game and the, i I don't think the Lions could handle that kicking game. There was so, you know, the the way that Gatlin has set his team up to play, and the way that a lot of the players in the Lions team like to play. You know, it's that fast place, ball in hand, moving yes. the thing. And I think you know, South Africa did that. They 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 worked out in the, after the first test, and when you know what, what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to be physical, and we're going to kick the ball over the top of it, and we're going to basically pin them and stop them from being able to play that fast that and fast rugby they it, want to it, play. Yeah, and it worked. And it worked to treat. Yeah. And Gatland had no answer for it, which, considering the talent of that he has on the bench, I just—I mean, it was just seemed amateur error. So, what went wrong with the second test then? Well, in the second half, uh, I mean, it was very close in the first half; could have gone either way. But the second half, uh, South Africa are very good at the, the, the Lions and the, and the home nations like to play fast ball. Yeah, I think I think Nathaniel would agree with me. Yeah, so South Africa don't. And the, where they're very, very good, they had, they've got an immense forward pack and they brought on some fresh players. They just kept the ball in the forwards, mulled it, mulled it, mulled it, and kept moving forward. So the Lions weren't getting the ball. And then they, they released the ball very slowly and just put the most wonderful high ball. It's not a style of rugby that I like. It's not a purist game um, because they just kept doing the same thing over and over again. But the, the kicks were such precision and such height. And for whatever reason, you know, the likes of Hogg and Van der Meer just didn't understand the concept of catching the ball in the air and then keeping the ball and not getting turned over. I mean, it was but, so basic. I mean, yeah, you, you say it's not a style that you like, but I mean, to be fair, you, you go to Murray Field in swirling wind, in, you're not putting the ball anywhere near up in the air and they're not used, to, they're just not used to those type of balls because you can't, you can't play those balls in Scotland or England or Wales because the wind is just horrific in some of the stadiums. No, but you can practice for it. It's like practicing for penalties in the world, in, 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 in the Euros. It was obvious what South Africa were going to do because that's how they won the last World Cup final against England. I mean, that's, that's the style that they play. And we just seemed so unprepared for it. Um, I mean, how, how many catches did, did Hogg miss in the second half? I think it was four. Vandermeer missed two. They got turned over all the time. It was just, it was quite amateur, really. And but yet Gatlin left him on the pitch. He's made sweeping changes for the third test, though, and he's brought in uh, players to, to come into the back line. So I think he's, he's brought in players, you know, expecting the kicking game. And he, he, needs, he needs to go, and I think he will, but the likes of Watson and that the pace, because... That's the way you can you can limit that. You know, if you can if you can make sure you get a catch, you get the catch, get it to play with a pace that's you know you can then yes. get half your half your team back on side sort of situation. You should that that's going to make help them out a lot, and hopefully it won't be sixty minute halves because that was just torturous. I mean, it is a funny thing, Alistair, and it's a strange concept, and I've never mm. quite understood what the line's all about. I mean, you know, we, we get all the home nations together, and then we run out in the, in the park with this with the, with this doll that looks like a lion. Uh, you know, you know, I, I don't really quite quite get it. Uh, you know, it seems a bit unfair. If we're going to play South Africa, it should be England against Africa, or Australia, or New Zealand, or Scotland, or Ireland. I don't understand why we need to get yeah. together four nations to play them. It's the same thing of sending mixed football teams <laughs> and mixed rugby teams to the York to the um, Olympics. Because, Absolutely, you know, yes. The USA, mm -hmm. the USA, who were one of the, the better teams in the world, they send their USA, their football team, that this is their football team that play in the World Cup. They're going to send the same football team to play in the in the Olympics. Whereas we go, 
well, we need to find a team, but you know, a lot of our FAs don't want to lose their identities, so they're not going to send us players. So effectively, we send an England team with like two Scots, Scottish players and a Welsh player. And, you know, it's, just, it's, it's, not the, it's not really the point. Well, the point is to win the third match then. What do we need to do? Uh, what do the Lions need to do uh, to secure the third test game? Well, they've got to be a lot more aggressive. They've got to be a lot. They've got to be prepared and have an answer for the high balls which are going to come because South Africa are not going to change that because they're they're mm-hmm. so good at it. They've, they've been doing that for donkey's years. Um, they've got to be able to take that ball and catch it and keep it, and they've got to be able to get quick ball. And they will need to be a lot more inventive from the backs, which really didn't they didn't do anything on uh, last game. And they've got to find the way difficult it is to be able to match the physicality and the power of the South Africa pack, which will be difficult because they are monster men, absolutely monster men. And they're not just strong, they're very, very skilled at what they do. And it is a very skilled job when you're when you're mauling and moving forward. And that's not going to be easy. And, you know, the way that the Lions sometimes shoot themselves in the foot because these players are not used to playing with each other because they're from opposing nations. It takes a while to, to gel and you need... You know, we were mm-hmm. talking about match fitness earlier and talking about Aberfeldy Rugby yeah. Club. You know, you need time together. And, the, you know, they don't really get that many competitive games. If they don't match the physicality of this African pact and Gatland is not sharp enough to keep the pack fresh, then I don't see the Lions doing anything. Nathaniel, what do we have to do? What do the British Lions have to do? Keep it tight for the first half. Um, you know, get your penalties, take your opportunities when you get presented them. Play some players with a bit of bit, bit of pace. Keep it tight for forty minutes. Get into the break. Get refreshed. Get some fresh legs on. Chuck Finn Russell on and go. You know what? Do what you do best. Well, I was going to ask you. Would you play Finn Russell? I'd chuck him on at half time. I wouldn't start him, but I'd keep it tight for the first sort of forty minutes. Bring on maybe a couple of players in the backs to you know provide a little bit more sort of defensive stability. You know, if Russell does something inventive that doesn't come off, you know, a couple of players with some pace to get back and cover the same way that England in the Euros played Carl Walker as a centre back. Yeah, so and r- then sort of, rarely I agree with you completely, but I'm with you on that. Yeah, and then sort of send him on and go, you've got the tools, use them, and let's let's see if we can sort of unlock their... If, if we can keep, if you can get him on in the second half and keep the ball away from their sort of their prop, uh, South Africa props and their forwards, it's going to become a little bit better, easier for them because that's how they'll want to control the game. They'll want to go into that mall, that sort of hold the ball, hold the ball, hold the ball, and then hump big kicks up long to try and test the, the catching ability. So if they can limit the, the forward play from South Africa and use the players they've got that have got pace and the creativity of Russell in the second half, I think they should have a better chance than they did in the second test. If, uh, well, I agree with, completely with Nathaniel, actually. I think that's a very good analysis of it. I, I think the big debate, and I know I'm a big fan of Russell, but this is a, you know, this is a big, big call. If uh, if it's even Stevens at half time, he's got to come on. I think the temptation would be if they're a try or so ahead, and they don't they don't need you know to to chase points. It's maybe not the type of game for him, but um, that's that's a close one. So, but I think Nathaniel is is, is pretty on the on the on the ball there. Well, I'm glad we've come to some agreement at the, yes. at, the at, at the end of the program there. So so uh, so uh, prediction a, a, a Lions win. For me, yes. Uh, Nathaniel? Yeah, I think it'll be very tight, but I think they should just scrape it. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, let's uh, end on that positive note then. You've been listening to Sports Point, a Heartland Multimedia production. Uh, thank you for uh, tuning into the podcast uh, this week. Uh, Nathaniel Goddard, thank you very much uh, for sitting on the uh, other side of the questioning uh, this week. Thanks for joining us. 
So I thank you very much. And uh, Graham, thank you uh, as well uh, for joining us here on Sports Point. Always a pleasure. Sports Point, a Heartland multimedia production. Find out more at www.heartland.scot.